you would please open your Bibles and me to the book of Genesis this morning, Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 is we start a new series called Two Are Better Than One. My name is Matt Brooks. I'm the senior pastor here at First Baptist Church in Broken Arrow. I want to welcome you, specifically those who are watching online. We're excited because we have the awesome opportunity to take two weeks to discuss all oh, the beautiful subject of marriage. Now, tragically, most in our country don't see it that way anymore. In fact, did you realize that over the last 45 years, marriage has been an unprecedented decline in our country? The divorce rate has more than doubled since 1960. In fact, currently, 40% of all Americans believe marriage will one day be completely obsolete. In fact, right now within our millennial generation, the, the largest demographic in the history of our country, only 33% of them are married at all. In fact, tragically, 45% of them have no desire for any family unit at all. And so what I want to do is that I want to take two weeks and give you God's plan, God's design for marriage. The Bible begins and ends with a wedding. And in this time we have together, we are going to take and define the purpose for our marriage. And I assure you, by the end of this series, you're going to conclude with me that every generation's view of marriage is too low. <laughs> marriage is designed by God. This was not our idea. It was designed to be a lifelong, mutual, monogamous partnership between one man and one woman that reflects the divine order the gospel and the glory of God. In marriage, a submissive wife and a loving husband model the sacrificial, self-giving love of Christ who gave his life for his bride, the church. Marriage is the defining earthly relationship then for all humanity. Now I will remind you that marriage is the defining earthly relationship for all humanity. However, marriage does not define us. Only Christ does. You see, there may be some of you this morning that God has given the gift of singleness. That for whatever reason, besides God's glory and God's purpose in your life, you are not married. Marriage does not define you. Christ does. You in so many ways, and Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 7, have even a greater potential to impact the kingdom have even a more awesome opportunity to be who you are in Christ. Secondly, there's, there's those that you've been married before. And you have the opportunity now to take in these truths, to affirm these principles, and to live out God's divine purpose for your marriage. With that in mind, the one thing I want you to get as we study this text together is that two are better than one. When we come to Genesis 2, we must remind ourselves of the magnanimity of this text. It is written by arguably the most profound individual in the entire Old Testament, a man by the name of Moses, right around 1405 B.C. The book of Genesis covers the longest span of history in the entire Bible. It provides two main subjects in Genesis 1 and 2. God, the creator, and then mankind, the pinnacle of his creation. Genesis 1 gives us a literal panoramic view of the origin of the universe. Genesis 2 complements Genesis 1 and expands on day 6 as the origin of humanity and marriage. The creation account of Adam and Eve 
displays to all of us the ideal context of marriage. A harmonious, permanent, interpersonal union and relationship. Equal in personhood, value, and importance, but different in role and authority. And what I want to do is I want to take us back to this first marriage. And I want to give you four principles that solidify this divine equation that two are better than one. With that in mind, let's give our hearts this morning to Genesis 2, verse 24. And your Bible says this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. God applies the principles of the first marriage to every marriage. You have this striking transition in the Hebrew text. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. The first imperative statement in the entire Bible is God's statement on marriage. From its outset, the Bible reminds us that God has the first and last word on marriage. And this statement in Genesis 2.24, I'll remind you contextually, is pre-fall. Both Adam and Eve are sinless and perfect and working within the harmony and complete alignment to God's will and purpose for their lives. This marriage, then, is directed to us about what all marriages are to aspire to. In fact, I'll remind you that Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 and 5, verifies these words as the literal word of God themselves. Furthermore, Jesus and Paul use this very verse to establish a paradigm for marital behavior in our lives. Jesus uses this text in Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6. Paul uses this text in Ephesians 5, verses 28 and 33. I say all of that to say this. Christ and Paul believed Adam and Eve to be literal individuals. This happened. They were married. They were united together under God. With that in mind, two are better than one. It is this context that a man shall leave his father and mother that we are to give four principles now on marriage. Principle number one. Marriage is God's doing. He designed marriage for us to glorify him. I'll remind you contextually that the first not good aspect of creation is in relation to Adam's aloneness in Genesis 2.18. For it is not good for man to be alone. Up until this point, everything is good. God in his glory, good. Day one, good. Day two, three, four, five, good. And all oh, day six comes. And God in the crowning achievement of his creation creates man in his image. And man begins to do what God had called him to do. Rule, subdue, have dominion. Begin to name the animals. And it's God himself in Genesis 2.18 that says it's not good for man to be alone. That marriage from its inception is from God, by God, and for God. This is God's idea. It's not good for man to be alone. Did you realize this is the first negative statement about creation in the entire Bible? This is not good. Why? Now, it's not in relation vertically to Adam's relationship to God. 
Adam was in perfect harmony with the Lord. He was doing exactly what God had created him to do. To glorify him. He's not speaking here vertically. He's also not speaking here positionally. Adam knew that it was his design from God to take and extend God's glory to the ends of the earth. Not just within the confines of this garden, but to the ends of the earth. No, this isn't an issue vertically or positionally. Are you ready for this? From a compatibility standpoint. And that is why the text says, a man shall leave his father and mother. This word leave here translate forsakes willingly. You once in your marriage stood before God and your friends and said, yep, this is a good idea. We leave our father and our mother. It conveys here a continual, lifelong, unbreakable union. A complete reorientation of life, depending upon God and one another for life, is what the author has in mind. Adam is not apparently self-sufficient, but God-dependent. And as he depends on God, God gives him a helper suitable for him. God gives him a gift that he never deserved. God gives him a gift that he never could have imagined. Adam couldn't have thought of this. Adam couldn't have prayed for this. And that is why in Genesis 2.20 it says, for I have not found a helper suitable for me. Well, that's because we can't, God can. And it's God in his goodness and God in his grace that at the exact time as God wills, he gives us something we never deserved. And more than we ever asked for. He gives us a helpmate. Eve was not meant to complete Adam. Adam had everything he needed in God. Everything that God had required of Adam, he had given to him. But God gives more than what we could ever ask for. And to extend and expand his glory, God gave Eve to Adam. You see this word helper in verse 20? It's of a word that means to provide what is lacking. It can be described elsewhere in the Old Testament as one who can do what man alone cannot do. And every wife in the room said, amen. This word helper is used in the Septuagint to describe a physician. It is used in Exodus 18, verse 4, and Deuteronomy 33, verse 7, of God himself. And that is why the great theologian Martin Luther was right when he said, marriage is a school for character. Then marriage by its very design and intent will reveal our strengths and amplify our weaknesses. It will draw us to the very conclusion that only God and God alone can do this. That only God and God alone can sustain what was by God and for God because it's from God. Oh, this truly is a divine gift. This truly is something that we could have never conceived on our own. This is something that God gives to us as a means of his grace. And the moment that you think more of ourselves, the moment that we begin to think, specifically men, that we deserve this, 
is the moment we begin to forsake the very gift that God has given us. This was not a mistake. God specifically gave Eve to Adam as a means for them jointly to be maximized for everything that God intended him to be for his glory. God doesn't just hopelessly place Eve in the garden and say, good luck. But no, he intently put her there. Adam didn't find Eve on eHarmony or Match.com. No, the Lord gave Eve to Adam. Marriage is God's doing. He designed marriage for us to glorify him. Two are better than one. Secondly, for a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now notice in verse 24, who and which spouse is to lead in this endeavor? Not Eve, but I assure you she did her part. But Adam, Adam was the one to lead in holding fast. In the Hebrew text, he is to diligently stick to his wife, physically cling to his wife, keep close to his wife. An inner determination to effectually love one another, no matter the cost, is the implied statement. The phrase suggests here a continual passion, a permanence for one another for life, that they are to hold fast to one another, and they shall become one flesh. Notice God has in marriage the end in mind. The end is not about us. It is never to complete us, but yet marriage defines us. It defines our ultimate need that can only be met in Christ. It draws us to a natural conclusion that we are not to be self-sufficient, but we are to be Christ-sufficient. We are to depend upon him in all aspects of our life, and God in his goodness gives us a helpmate that reminds us that daily. Two are better than one. Marriage, then, secondly is Christ-centered union of two spirit-filled lives committed to together fulfilling the purposes of God, spiritually, physically, intellectually, socially, and emotionally for life. Now, that's quite the definition there. Let me unpack this. Marriage is a man and a woman coming together in this union, centered upon Christ, Centered upon the divine acknowledgement that Christ is Lord and that Christ is all. And in light of that statement, God graciously brings them together. And he lives out his divine purpose for them through his glory and by his spirit. And now filled with this life, they resolve together to commit to living a life, to fulfill this purpose of God, to bring glory to God. This entire person is in mind here. In verse 24. And they do it in several ways. Number one, spiritually. That marriage is a means in which we encourage one another to follow Christ. That we have the privilege and the grace of following Christ together. Of spurring one another to run, run, run with everything you've got together. And in light of that truth, pray for each other. 
Oh, the joy to hit this day running every single day and follow Christ and love you and do it with you. And then they get a text from Bryn about midday that says, I love you and I'm praying for you. Oh, the invincibility that comes with that statement. To know that you have someone who loves Jesus more than you, but who's praying for you. Go get it. Go follow Christ. Oh, to have the opportunity to share vibrantly, devotionally, and spiritually what Christ is doing. I mean, as God feeds us, are we using the overflow of that to feed and encourage each other? Are you having time throughout your week as you grow in Christ that you're sharing with one another what the Lord is teaching you? There's nothing sweeter. There's nothing better as you grow in God's word. Grow in Christ spiritually. I think secondly, physically, that we're encouraging obedience. That we are setting a, a pace and standard and accountability with one another that obeys and receives God's blessing. I remember when I first met Bryn, I was in one of the lowest times of my life. I was confused, just bewildered. I was playing Big 12 baseball at Kansas State University. Man, I was a Division I athlete. You know, we, we fly to games. We stay in the best hotels. We can have anything we want, food, swag, equipment. We were playing in a $15 million stadium and then instantly it was over. I find myself at this no-name junior college in northern Oklahoma. They got a Sonic and a school. That's it. I go from playing in this incredible stadium, one of the best stadiums in the entire part of the country, to, I think I've told you this before, we had to cancel a game one time in junior college because cows came on the field. <laughs> what am I doing in this place? And in the very first class, I met my wife. And the moment I met her, I said, whoa, man. God, this woman is different. This woman. I've never met anybody like her before. Just as Adam says right before verse 24. And I knew that if God in his grace would allow me such a privilege and honor to do life with such a woman, I had to get my life in alignment. I had to be the man that I said I was in following Christ. It was the physical obedience of Brenda that God used to challenge my own life. What a joy. What a privilege we have to hold each other to what matters most. To remind ourselves in this marriage, we are to live and live for Christ. And by God's grace, we get to do it together. There is nothing better. This is what's so tragic about our society. They bemoan, they mock marriage. Why would you ever do that? Why wouldn't you do that? It's the greatest journey of life. I've never had more fun in my life. Never had more challenging in my life. I've never seen Christ more glorified in my life. Two are better than one. That we have the privilege of sharing and showing Christ together. That we're committed to working hard for the glory of God together. To being generous with God's resources together and having fun. 
No, marriage is a Christ-centered union of two spirit-filled lives committed together to fulfilling the purposes of God, spiritually, physically, uh, intellectually. I mean, that we have the beautiful challenge of guarding our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We're better than this. We don't talk like this. We don't act like this. We don't respond like this. We don't get angry. We don't do all of these things. We don't complain. We trust the Lord. We follow the Lord. We love the Lord and one another with all our hearts. We continue to broaden in our understanding of wisdom of God's word. In fact, I would encourage you together to, to grow in your minds, to, to weekly read devotionally some aspect of theology together. I mean, to learn more about God and discuss it together. To, to grow in, in your history and nonfiction. I mean, we are in a very frightening phase right now in our country where we're eliminating history, erasing history. So having time together, we're, we're learning history. We're reading nonfiction. We're reading biographies of, of men and women of God. That God took this impossible situation and thousands of people accepted Christ. Why? Because only God. To be inspired and encouraged by this truth. To learn about God and for God and to do it with God and one another intellectually. Fourthly, socially. I mean, to keep each other accountable to what God has called us to do. Is this about us? Is this for us? Or is this for Christ? Is our lives for Christ? Is this marriage for Christ? Is this home glorifying Christ? And oh, to do that together. I can think of nothing better than spiritually, physically, intellectually, socially, and finally emotionally. Reminding ourselves that our identity and joy is in Christ. Oh, for God in his goodness to allow us to go through this life together as we follow Christ. Truly, two are better than one. And with that in mind, that is why the author says, and look back at verse 24, that we are to hold fast to his wife and that they shall become one flesh. You see this word one flesh here? It expresses here togetherness. It describes a, a unique Oneness. In fact, did you realize that this is the same word used for God himself in Deuteronomy 6.4? As Adam and Eve grew in their understanding of one another, they became more aware of their need for God. You see, if we are not careful, we will look to our spouse to give us what only God alone in Christ by the Spirit can give us. We will place this burden that there are everything, that there are all, and they're not. They were never meant to carry that weight or burden. Marriage does not define us. Only Christ does. And when we begin to place expectations and burdens upon our spouse that only Christ can fulfill, actually unhealthiness begins. That is not a context and foundation for a healthy marriage. Only a humble dependence that the only way this works horizontally 
is if we are perfect in alignment vertically with God our King as he shines and reigns in us through Christ. It is God and God alone that can give us unconditional love, lasting satisfaction, true meaning and value, and permanent security. Marriage is the ultimate reality that our ultimate need is met in Christ. And as we continue to live out this divine equation, two are better than one, it is under the preoccupation and resolve that Christ is the one. And the more that we love and pursue Christ, the closer and closer he draws us together. Thirdly, marriage then is an earthly picture of a heavenly truth. In fact, Paul says in Ephesians 5, verse 31 and 32, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. Paul takes Genesis 2, 24 and applies it and tells us that marriage is an earthly picture of a heavenly truth. Marriage is an illustration of the loving, intimate relationship between Christ, the bridegroom, and his church, the bride. You see, our culture gets this backwards. An overwhelming majority of weddings, the bride leads. The bride chooses. The bride is the one graciously adored. Guys, we don't care what you look like. Just show up on time, please. The bride is the one that comes down the center aisle. The bride's the one that's given away. Everyone else in the crowd saying, how in the world did this happen, right? But see, in the Bible, it is actually the groom that is at the center of the wedding. And there's a reason why in the Bible... The Bible begins and ends with a wedding because it is an earthly picture of a heavenly truth. It was impossible for us to love God the way in which he deserves because instead of loving him, we've loved ourselves. But God knew it was impossible for us to work our way to him and so he, by his love, came for us like a groom does to a bride. It is Jesus as the exact image of God who is the perfect spouse. It is Christ and Christ alone who is faithful to us despite our unfaithfulness. It is Christ and Christ alone who forgives us even when we've done the unforgivable. It is Christ in Christ alone who loves us wholeheartedly and unconditionally. And so the best thing you can do for your marriage is not to love your spouse first, but is to love Christ most. And the moment 
that you love Christ. May that overflow of his love so fill your life that all that God places in your home knows that you love Christ most. And in loving Christ most, you are then allowed by God and empowered by God to love everyone else with your best. I am so zealously passionate that my kids know two things. One, man, dad loves Jesus. And number two, daddy sure loves mom. I'm so passionate about this. About three times a week, it's my goal to love my wife so passionately, to love Christ so fervently that my kids go, really, Dad? Or They're like, Dad, again? In fact, psychologists have told us that the distinguishing mark in a child's development emotionally, socially, and mentally can be defined by two things, that my parents love each other and they love God the greatest thing you can do for your marriage is to live out this earthly picture by the heavenly truth to love Christ with everything you've got most and allow the Lord to let you love your spouse with everything else that's left finally and fourthly Marriage proves that Jesus is your soul, soulmate. For he alone is perfect and enough. And the closer that we are to Jesus, the closer we will be to one another. The more that we love Jesus, the more that we will love one another. Marriage displays to a watching world that the selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love of Jesus is enough for us. And the more that we love Christ and love one another, it affirms that we are loved by Christ. And oh, the joy, oh, the opportunity, Oh, the absolute blessing that we have to show the world that love has no end, just a beginning. That I do is more profound than we can possibly imagine. That there is a love that never fails. No wonder Jesus said of marriage in Mark 10, verse 9, what therefore God has joined together, let no man Separate, because two are better than one. Now, I don't know about you, but as we begin to leave this place, we are passionate about loving you and doing life with you as we follow Christ. And God in his goodness has given us so many ways in which we can do this. And one of those ways is coming again this fall. It's a ministry that has been started here called Reengage. And it's a ministry that, that helps marriages in all stages. It's an opportunity to, to walk alongside you as you follow Christ and love one another. In fact, we're placing it on Wednesday nights this fall. Child care is provided. There's no excuse 
for you not to be a part of what God's doing. We have in this team some of our best couples who are loving Jesus and loving one another. And if you want more information about these classes and this ministry, right after this service, go into our atrium. We've got a booth set up. Go meet these couples. Go sign up. Try it for the fall and see what happens. And as you continue to follow and love Christ, oh, men and women of God, love each other and allow that love to continue to transform your life because two is better than one.